Bob. You'd, you'd think I'd get this right eventually, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So what he's talking about is uh, we try to sync up our audios because we're still about 1,050 miles apart. Um, so we do this, like, seance and ritual, and we hit the button at the same time, and, you know, whatever. Bear in mind, this is episode 64, so we've been doing this for a pretty long time. Yeah. I can never remember it. It's like, what's that movie with, uh, it's a buddy flick, uh, where it's like, are we going on three, or is it three go? I can't think of the name of it. It's a cop show, cop movie. Of course. Okay. So, Bob, approximately <laughs> yes, approximately 40 years ago, um, we sent- You were few, born. Mm, yeah, a little more than that. But uh, <laughs> approximately 40 years ago, we sent out a few probes. They were named Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. You want to guess how far away from Earth they are right now? Um, 40 years? Uh, they've made it past Saturn. Oh no, they've left the solar system. Oh well, then I'm correct. <laughs> <laughs> this is like answering Jeopardy. What are who is somebody that's never been in my kitchen? Well, yes, <laughs> but I don't know. Ah, anyway, they're they're far far away. <laughs> You managed to throw me off. So today, I would like to talk a little bit about About space travel. No, we're not going alien, (laughs) anal, space probes from South Park. We're just going space travel. But we did mention aliens, so maybe we'll get some listeners. Yes, yes, absolutely. You are listening to The Bob and Kevin Show with Bob Beatty Barr and Kevin Gisheski. Each week, we cover relevant tech and social issues related to technology. Our website is bobandkevin.show. And our episodes can be found virtually on any podcast network. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Bob and Kevin Show. So... What I want to focus on isn't Star Trek type stuff where it's like, wouldn't it be fantastical if we could sail the space and stars and visit all these M-class planets and have sex with green aliens a la Captain Kirk, right? Would we talk about the lesser known Starfleet vessels? <laughs> a little shout, shout out, out then. Start <laughs> Supplemental. Okay. Um, so... I had a fan on here. Just turn it off. Hopefully, I didn't come through the audio. But too late now. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm surrounded up. by fans. Just kidding. <laughs> ah, <laughs> all right. So, I want to stay away from the fantastical side of space travel because we have Netflix, CBS, All Access. The new Picard series for Star Trek is streaming live now, etc. So, I, I don't really want to go that route. What I want to try to focus well, on is... This is the most fantastical time for space travel in the history of man. In what way? We have individual companies, not just governments, in the ah. space travel game. So that's super so rather than, fantastic. Rather than apply the, the hashtag of fantastical to SpaceX, I would apply the hashtag of practical. And that's actually what I want to talk about. The practicality. What, what is realistic, I think, in terms of space travel in the year 2020 and looking ahead? Because why? My 11-year-old son says, Dad, why haven't we been to Mars yet? 
And I said, well, because it's really far away. It's hard, right? It's it's not easy. So why is it hard? Well, guess what? I've made a bunch of show notes here, an outline, if you will, that I would like to share with you, Bob. How does that sound? It sounds great, but I already have a question. Yes. So we mentioned those probes that have been jettisoning away from Earth for 40 years, and they are past Saturn, in fact, well outside our solar system. <laughs> and they've never been in my kitchen. Okay, Never continue. been in my kitchen, yes. They got there over the course of 40 years. However, there's no way that a person could go at the speed that those vehicles are traveling at, correct? They can, because humans just need to survive the G-force, and G-force only exists if there's acceleration. So let's say you're going 17,000 miles an hour. All you're actually doing is just orbiting Earth, but you don't, don't feel any G-force because you're not accelerating. You're at a constant speed. Is that the speed of an orbiting vessel? Yeah. And if you want to orbit around Earth, you have to go around 17,000 miles an hour. And actually, my son Jackson asked me, why is that, Dad? And... I, I tried to explain to him, if you took a, a heavy object, like a, a, a bolt or a nut, and tied it to a string, you spun it around, that bolt uh, actually is a pretty good model for this, because that bolt wants to fly away from the center, however, it cannot fly fully away because of the string. Well, if we look at that in terms of an Earth model, the string is gravity, and the speed that keeps that string tight, it happens to be 17,000 miles an hour. If you go faster than 17,000 miles an hour, what would happen, Bob? Uh, the string still won't break. The string won't break, but, it, well, technically, yes, it does, because you leave Earth's orbit. Gravity can no longer contain you. And so but you if leave. you're going around the circle at 17,000, well, actually, the theory is, is those crafts aren't really going around the circle. The gravity is what keeps them in the circle, right? Well, you're, anything orbiting Earth is constantly falling back to Earth uh, with gravity. However, it, it's the balance between centrifugal force trying to push you away from Earth because you're spinning around it so fast and gravity holding you on. So it's a delicate right. balance. If you don't go at least 17,000 miles an hour, you deorbit and you come back to Earth. That's why you have to go from 17,000 miles an hour to something more agreeable uh, on Earth because that's not good to hit the ground at 17,000 miles an hour. You need to slow down. And, exactly. and the air itself uh, heats up. That's why you have the, like, the space sh shuttle and the Apollo capsules and all that have those heat shields because you need to decelerate, essentially. And if you go faster than 17,000 miles an hour, you just leave Earth's orbit and you go somewhere else. So the other day, the Dragon capsule, right? Is that yep. what they... That got up to Mach 2? Well, they if you're talking about... They did a uh, emergency abort test. Right. That, yes. And, and I don't know if it left... It didn't leave the atmosphere because the idea there was, hey, if we have to hit the oh shit button or some automatic system hits the oh shit button... Can these dudes survive the G-forces, um, and can they get away from the rocket? And it was a successful test. Right, but I saw a stat that it said that the capsule got up to... So they it mentioned live that it got past Mach 1. I think Elon came out as part of the post-analysis and said it got up to Mach 2. Do Are people good at Mach 2? Um, I believe Cause so. Because Mach 2 is two times the speed of sound, right? Right, but... Again, it all depends on acceleration. You, right now, you're going 
I don't know, a thousand miles an hour just spinning around Earth. But because you're not accelerating, it's a constant speed. No big deal. So going Mach 2 is not a big deal. But the problem or the difference here is when you're on a rocket, you, you're not at a constant speed. You're going from zero to Mach 2. So there's a constant acceleration. So a G-force is being imparted on you. And when that rocket fires on the top of that to, to tear off the, the, the people to take them to safety, there's even more G-forces because there's an acceleration that happens. And then being a paratrooper, I'm very familiar with the deceleration G-force. When your parachute opens, holy shit! Ah, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, but it's the best feeling in the world because, you know, your parachute opens because, so. you know, you're not going to bounce. Yeah, at least not yet. <laughs> exactly. It's it's not the fear of heights that will ever kill you. It's that sudden stop at the bottom. That's the one you need to look out for. I don't know. Speaking for someone who's afraid of heights, that could possibly kill me. So let me ask you a question about space um like why why do humans want to go to space so i wrote down two possibilities actually let's let's call it three just the technology like satellites okay space we we know there's a use case there space tours so you got like virgin galactic selling tickets basically to go up to low earth orbit and then come back and then colonization. So those are the three things I can think of. Is there anything outside well, of those wait. three? I think exploration is probably the top of the heap, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't really, I mean, I, I guess I conflated colonization with exploration. So you could take a lap around the moon and come back home exploring the surface of the moon, right? Right, but we have those unmanned probes that we started the show out with that are really just on a mission of pure exploration. True. Um, they are not necessary. Go ahead. Well, Virgin Galactica is not actually doing trips, though, yet, right? But they're selling tickets? They have things that can go up to the edge of space and back, and they are selling tickets. But I honestly, it's priced out of my budget, so I haven't kept up on it. Hmm. Yeah, I felt like that was still vaporware, that they're not really actually doing that. I I would agree. I would tend to agree with you. So we kind of have those four sorts of things, uh, space tours, colonization, exploration, and just, you know, ap- applying communication tech or, or telescopes and shit like that, right? Yeah, sorry. Hang on. I'm looking up this Virgin Galactic bullshit. Um, they actually, they actually have been into space, but have they been into space with paying customers? Well, I th- I thought I saw recently where they can touch the edge of space. So it also comes down to the legal. What does going to space air quotes mean? Right. Wow. It's a quarter million dollars for a 90 minute flight. And they've received about $80 million in deposits from future astronauts. What the frick? That was December it's- of 2018. Hey, man, we need a tax write-off. It's tax season, by the way. We need a tax write-off. Hey, I know. Why don't you buy a ticket? <laughs> you can hide some of that money in uh, space tourism, right? Yeah. All right. I'll stop looking at that crap. So you okay. asked me a question about telescopes and whatnot. What did you say? Well, well, basically, I think <laughs> we boiled radio. it down to wh- why the frick should we even go to space? And I think we have four kind of reasons, right? Why do we give a fuck? Right. We have exploration, space tourism, colonization, and then applying technology like satellites and stuff like that. Right. But isn't that also just what people do? Like people are starved to learn about things they don't know about. True. I I mean, you hear stuff all the time. We know more about outer space than we know about our own oceans. Like, which is kind of weird. 
Right. Yeah. We. I mean, we lost the whole airplane MH370 somewhere on Earth in an ocean somewhere. Nobody can find it. That's weird. Gosh. Yeah. That's strange. Okay. So space. Uh, it's not easy, right? So to come back to my son's thought, hey, why haven't we gone to Mars yet? Well, I mean, think about the moon. That was fifty years ago. Neil Armstrong's dead. In theory. In theory, it was 50 years ago. Oh, you, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not one, you're not one of those people, are you? No, I was just okay. funning. <laughs> okay. You, you almost had me there. Okay, so it's it's been 50 years, and then we did the whole space shuttle thing, and we were like, hey, reusable spaceships and shit, and that kind of like turned into, well, they can do low Earth orbit. They're basically fancy satellites with, with a crew cab. And then that comes back down. Yeah, that's cool. It's an advancement. But then they killed them off. They killed off uh, the space shuttle, that is. Um, and then then enter SpaceX. And there's some other ones. But, of course, they're not as ubiquitous, I guess, as SpaceX. What's Bezos one called? Like Deep Blue or something like that? I don't know. Why am I not surprised Jeff Bezos is shoveling money into a space program is it like a billionaire thing to be like well let's see we need our own spaceship company well no and that was actually one of the cruxes of the article that i sent you earlier today is that you know one of the things that happens in any industry like this especially when it's early you know like early adopter early get-ins that there's a consolidation and you know one company will acquire the other to make itself bigger gain technology but they don't feel like the three billionaires that are doing it so you got branson Bezos and Musk and they don't see any of the three of those actually working together or like, you know, combining. Gotcha. So it's totally a billionaire. It's a billionaire thing. Like, what are you doing? I got rockets. Well, I better get rockets (laughs) too. That's fair. So it takes a long time to get anywhere in traffic here on earth. <laughs> Takes even longer to get somewhere by airplane, but you know, we can still get around this earth. You know, like the longest flight, you know, just happened recently. You can go from like London to Sydney in a ridiculous amount of time. It's like 14 hour flight or something ridiculous. I don't know, pick a number. So you get to outer space. Hey, now we're using spaceships. We'll get there faster, right? Well, I have a list here, Bob, and I'm gonna go through all eight planets. And even give you a bonus one called Pluto. <clears throat> is and, it back in or is it out again? No, it's still out. Oh. And we're still still blaming people like Neil deGrasse Tyson. I thought it was Not, like eggs. I thought, it, you know, it's the good, it's bad, it's in, it's out. <sighs> I, I think it's still out. So we're going to start from the in and go out. How long do you think it would take us to get to Mercury? Let's say you had a reason to go to Mercury, which you don't. We'd never make it because we'd burn up. Um, There's that. To get to Mercury... Right now? Yeah. How long would it take on current technology? Year and a half. 147 days is uh, what it would take. Oh, half a year. Sorry, my bad. Well, hold on. There's an asterisk here. 147 days is what it took the Mercury probe uh, in 1970, or in the 1970s, to go past there. However, to slow down enough to actually land, it actually takes six and a half years. Oh, that is a because significant you have to match difference. the orbital velocity, and slowing down is hard because we always think about space travel and getting up to speed and getting there quick. Well, what they don't show you in Star Trek as much is 
<laughs> the brakes, right? How do you slow down and not splat right into the planet or just totally miss it? Well, that right? would make for some really bad television if they're like, all right, we've got to spend a half an episode slowing down. <laughs> uh, Cotton, I'm doing the best I can, but the brakes are a little squeaky. So, yeah, exactly. All right. So <laughs> he's laughing over there. Uh, wow. That Venus. Is a, who is that? Oh, God. Scotty. Montgomery Scott, chief engineer. Call me Scotty. That's my best Scotty. All right, That's Venus. Terrible. How long do you think it would take to get to Venus? With the slowing down? Uh, I don't know if this one's qualified with the slowing down. Just pick a number. How long would it take to fly by, get there, touch it? Two months. About 15 months. Apparently, oh, apparently the, the probe around Mercury is called Messenger, and we sent Magellan to Venus, and it took 15 months. Now, as we get through this, you might start thinking, wait a second. I've seen the solar system model. Earth can be on the left-hand side, and... The, the planet we're going to can be uh, on the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah. So, they're, so are they calculating this based on well, an so intercept when, path, I'm sure. Right. So NASA does their thing and says, well, we've decided our, our window to get there is here, and it, it took 15 months. And then uh, do you remember how many days? Of course, <laughs> do you remember? Hey, Bob, remember that time you watched Apollo 11 land? No, you weren't. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to imply. <laughs> well, Bob. You want to venture guess on how long it took Apollo 11 to get to the moon? I feel like that wasn't very long. Like, it was less than a day, right? Three days. Fuck. Three. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> Mars, the Opportunity uh, Lander, I believe, or Probe, eh, whatever Opportunity was. How long do you think it took to get to Mars? Well, I feel like I've heard that that is an 18-month one-way trip. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I've heard anything from six months to five years and I'm like, I'm going to Google that shit and we're going to come back to it more, but it took opportunity seven months to get okay. there. But that was the and, not slowing down to land or no, did uh, that one actually slow down and land? I have a list of things that have gone to Mars and I'm going to cover that in a minute. So stick a pin in that. If you were to... If you were the Galileo did do lots probe, of research. <laughs> if you were the Galileo probe and we happen to send you out to Jupiter, which we did, how long do you think it would take to get to Jupiter? Twelve years. Six years. Very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right on, Bob. Uh, we sent Cassini to Saturn. How long did you think that took? And that left in 1997 and got there in the year. 2007. 2004. So it took seven years to get I'm getting there. closer. Now this one, I'm going to try not to giggle because it's... it's how, long I, did, I, how long did it take <laughs> to get to Uranus? <laughs> he said anus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giggling. Yes. Apparently Voyager, uh, when it did... A, so we have two Voyagers, one and two, but one of the Voyagers, it took eight and a half years. So we sent a probe to Uranus? Apparently, you know, it's funny because over the years, you know, when I grew up, we called it Uranus, but apparently, you know, Uranus, Uranus, <laughs> but who, you know, when did that happen? Did, the, did just like the political correct people say, no, we can't say Uranus. We got to say Uranus. Too many elementary know. school children losing their shit every time they talked about <laughs> space. I, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, and then Voyager made it to Neptune. Um how long do you think it took to get to Neptune? So from the beginning. Uh, 
That's right, Bob. 12 years, because that makes for bad radio. I was going to say 11. (laughs) And then uh, New Horizons, that's one of the most recent ones, uh, and it it made it to Pluto, which is a non-planet, in 2015. But can you guess when we actually sent the probe to Uh, Pluto? 1998. 2006. So it took nine and a half years. How terrible is Pluto is on one of those really weird orbits where it's like got some 200-year, like... You know, once around the the sun thing, it's kind of weird. Okay, well, it's because it's really far away. Yes. So, what I was kind of getting at here is, it takes a long time to get somewhere. In fact, some more examples of going to Mars, as promised here. Viking one in 1976 took 335 days to get there. Viking two, also in 1976, 360 days, so almost a year to get there. Uh, in 2006, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, 210 days. Curiosity, 253 days. And Phoenix Lander, 295 days. So, yeah, it takes a minute to get there. So, how's space travel looking to you so far, Bob? If you want to go anywhere in the solar system, it's starting to look pretty pretty long. Well, but it's interesting, though, when you look at those probe-type vehicles and some of the other ones, they're not very big. So their fuel capacity is not very big. So they probably can't do like very long giant sustained burns. So their speed is probably far less than what we would achieve in something that could take passengers, right? Yeah. So the the speed at which we hurl the thing, whether it's got people in it or not, is dependent on how much fuel there is in it. 100%. The, and the reason you can't put much fuel, let alone a lot of payload, into a rocket is because leaving Earth's atmosphere isn't easy. You have to overcome that whole gravity thing here on Earth. Once you get out of Earth's gravity, you keep chugging along. But the real trouble is just that initial lift. So is the new thing that I'm hearing, or did I totally make this up in my mind, that we're going to be exploring like a staging from the moon so it doesn't take as much fuel to get out from there? I've heard of some things like that, but I don't know. I, I think we're... We're going it, back it to happen. the moon though, right? Like, I feel like a, there's a new commitment to going back. That's what Trump said, right? We will not only plant our flag and leave our footprint, we will establish a foundation for an eventual mission to Mars and perhaps someday to many worlds beyond. That's what he said, but I don't know if he's just saying it to say it. You know, he didn't exactly say, in this decade, I promise we will go <laughs> to the moon or whatever, you know, Kennedy said. So, you ever, ever notice he ever says uh, decade or, or, it's weird, it's very Boston. You know? It is, it's East Coast. All right, um, so there are challenges with going on through space travel. One of the yes. dangers, <laughs> yes, duh, one of the dangers is radiation. So once you get outside of Earth's magnetic field, and they had this problem with uh, Apollo, um, is the sun wants to kill you. It wants to irradiate you. And here on Earth, we are protected by the ozone, the, the magnetic um, thingy, and all that. So you got radiation. The next thing you got is supplies. You know, humans... Or let's assume human space travel here. We need food, water, oxygen, shelter, power. What else do we need, Bob? Anything? Or did I cover it? Mm, waste disposal. Open the door, hang it out, 
close the door. Done. It's not how that works <laughs> in space. But they've got that pretty well figured out, right? I mean, I imagine if you can stay up in the space station for a year, they figured out where to put the poo, right? Ah, uh, good point. Yeah. So the space station, we really haven't covered that. Um so so you need so you have radiation's a problem, distance is a problem, supplies, so the food, water, oxygen. And what if you just break down? There's there's no like, you know, hey uh my spaceship's broke down. You think you could take a look at it? You know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Triple A is not coming out to fix you, right? Yeah, those first people that are going to be making that trip, they're going to, it's pretty much going to be a success or not. <laughs> so as we alluded to, one of the challenges is just getting up to speed. You have to break out of Earth's atmosphere. So you're going to have to go at least 17,000 miles an hour uh, in a direction and... It, let's say you're going to Mars. At some point, you got to slow down. So slowing down is part of the equation. A lot of times, these rockets and these probes will will face back the way it was coming and do a burn to decelerate. And then one of the troubles you have there, if you actually want to land on Mars, because that'll put you into orbit around Mars is now you're changing atmospheres. So the engine that got you for off of Earth is one thing. The engine that got you from Earth to Mars may be another. And then the engine that puts you back and lands safely onto Mars could be a third one. It could be like the first one. So I have a list of rocket types here that we're oh going to go Oh, my goodness. <laughs> don't, couldn't we just group them into small, medium, and large? I don't understand. I don't know, because I'm going to say them, and I'll be like, I've never heard of that. Have you ever heard of this? Well, you know, so we're going to do that in a second. Um, but, of course, when you enter Martian atmosphere, you could use a parachute, so passive braking thing, like a parachute, bouncy balloons. Um, I guess retro rockets would be more of an active thing, but that's a common thing. So... Imagine just leaving Earth's atmosphere. A lot of times we use solid rockets or liquid rockets, right? You know, very traditional. You see them on TV, um, blah, blah, blah. So those we're all very familiar with. But apparently there's uh, the Hall Effect Thruster. Bob, do you remember the Hall Effect Thruster? Were we talking about those when it, we were talking about Starlink? Yes, perfect. That's like That's that exactly ion exchange right. kind of deal. Is that what that is? That's right. So... You ever remember, well, remember, maybe you did or didn't, Popular Mechanics. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, Popular Mechanics would be in somebody's mailbox. It happened to read it. And it would always be this fantastical new engine that, you know, this will get us to Mars in five years, you know, blah, blah, blah. You ever, you, you track in with me? You know, they got Oh, yeah, these, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very familiar with Popular Mechanics, Popular Science. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, it's, yeah, one of those. And so mechanics is going to be more like on the ground here. I'm sure you're thinking popular science. Yeah, I think you're right. Very good. So at some point you got to go, well, did today that stuff ever pan out? And how would you know? So Wikipedia actually has a list and NASA keeps a, a scale, if you will. It goes from one to nine number. Um, so if you're a number one uh, type technology, you are a basic principle observed and reported basically you were a shower thought at this point, <laughs> no more. Um, then it goes all the way up to level nine, which is uh, it's in operations and it's in testing. And there's everywhere in between there. So if I look at my list of space propulsion, and I'm going to send you a link just just because. So I can follow along at home. Yes, exactly. Um, so 
if you if, uh, you gotta scroll down. There's a, there's a table, but only one, two, three, four, five, six types of engines, if I counted correctly, are actually flight proven. Number nine, and then you've got three that are eights, two that are sevens. Oh, it looks like uh, solar sails are also a nine there, so I guess seven. But there's a lot of these technologies that are like, well, seems like a good idea. We're throwing a shit ton of money at it, but none of it's ever actually kind of gone anywhere. Um, and if you think of things like warp drives and things like that, I think that those are on this list somewhere. That's, but, but that's got to be closer to a one, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even warp know. Warp drive is totally list. theoretical, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, what's interesting about this list, we have solid rockets and liquid rockets, and the column that I am interested in is the firing duration. Think about it. They can only fire those rockets for a few minutes. Right. And then that shit either is you've used all your fuel or you got to conserve it. The ones that are interesting are the Hall Effect thrusters, which are on the Starlink satellites. Those things can last months, if not years. And so the idea is if you are constantly accelerating and within acceptable human, um, you know, uh, where you won't kill a human, you know, could you get to Mars or somewhere much quicker because you don't, (laughs) because you're burning constantly because in order to get to Mars quicker, you just need to use more fuel. And so... There's not very many engine types on here that last a long time. They're pretty much like fireworks, if you will. <laughs> yep. Yep. There it was. That's all we got. And uh, so I'm not very optimistic that we're going to get to space or to Mars, that is, any quicker. What do you think? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't see anything on this list that would actually put us you know, it's not within reality. No. So we're, we're living on existing technology, which means we need a giant fuel capacity and we're not going to be able to go very fast. So if we look at Mars again and go, okay, how long does it take to get to Mars? We originally said about seven months. However, because of the way earth and Mars, you know, kind of dance around the sun at different, you know, speeds and whatnot, it can actually be as close as 39 days or as far as 289 days, however, comma, that <laughs> assumes a straight line distance because we've always been told, well, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So that straight line will take you through the sun in some cases and ignores gravity and orbits and things like that. So practically speaking, it takes about nine months to get there. And the the real son of a gun here is, is it, that window of opportunity where it's about seven to nine months to get there is only every 26 months. So imagine somebody on Mars calling 911. Hello, NASA 911. How may I help you? <laughs> State your emergency. Fuck! All right. Well, we'll be there in 26 months, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's uh, not very practical. So that's another challenge. You're You're pretty much in the frontier. No kidding, right? Well, not only is it a challenge for the rescue aspect of it or the help aspect, but also just the practicality of the trip in general. So let's say we go once, we're going again a year and two months later? Um, probably not. <laughs> or probably yes. I mean, you've got you've to land people on that planet often, right? 
Right. Yeah. But I, I guess what I'm getting at, though, is like, what is the... So one leaves today. Say the window is today. Say it gets there in nine months. They're not getting any support again for another, 50, you know, well, 16, 17, 18 months. Not necessarily. I mean... You, because Earth and Mars are still out there. So you could send somebody this week and somebody else next week. Except the people that leave this week, it takes them seven months to get there. The people who leave next week, it's seven months and plus maybe three weeks. Because Mars is getting ahead or getting behind or Earth is pulling ahead. You know, that sort of thing. Right. But logistically speaking, you're not going to start staggering them like that until we have a proven method and sustainability. Pro- uh, probably right. So what are some of the challenges of colonizing Mars specifically? Well, if we come back to food, water, got it, oxygen, shelter, communications, and distance. Those are my main ones here. So we haven't really talked about communications at all. You know what really grinds my gears about Star Trek, Bob? A lot. But let me help you. <laughs> it, it has a lot to do with communications because Starfleet Command on Earth will be uh, sending a message to Captain Picard. And Captain Picard will take it, and he's 100 light years away from Earth, right? And then suddenly he just can speak real time to Starfleet Command. Makes no sense whatsoever because, (laughs) wait a second, if communication signals travel the speed of light and we're 100 light years away from Earth, shouldn't that radio message take 100 years to get to us? So that bothers me. So Yes. In real terms, if you were to make that 911 call from uh, Mars, or if you wanted to send a, uh, a Christmas gram to an astronaut or whatever, do you wanted to send a signal, it takes you um, anywhere from three minutes to about 22 minutes, depending on the position of Earth and Mars in relation to each other. You want to talk about latency. Yeah, that's, that's some latency. Considerable <laughs> lag going on there. So... The other day, somebody on Twitter uh, had mentioned, you know, time zones with Mars. I'm like, oh, my God. Could you imagine having to code not only time for Earth, but time in relation to another planet? Oh, boy. I don't even want to go there. Is that even possible? You know, train a train leaves a station on Earth. <laughs> another train leaves a station on Mars. When will these two trains collide? Yes, they're space trains. But you, you get, I mean, that's just like, ah, uh, you have right. to have. Yeah. But the daylight, the definition of a day on Mars is going to be substantially different than a definition of a day here. Right. So we have universal time here on Earth where it's Zulu time. Does that become the galactic time you know if i'm on mars do i just have to care about well what time is it back on earth but you're right they have different orbit orbital periods uh as they uh, rotate and then they go around the sun differently i don't even know if my mind can comprehend this at this point yeah this is becoming less and less of a a potential possibility as we wear on here on the timeline of the broadcast (laughs) <laughs> All right. So have you seen um, The Martian with uh, what's his name? Matt Damon? Yes. I think so. Where he says, I- I'm going to science the shit out of this. So the premise of the movie is, that is- the one where he grows potatoes in a thing. Or- yes. He, he yeah, gets okay. left behind, left for dead. Yes. And then he's actually not dead. It's a pretty good movie. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson says it's pretty realistic. So I wanted to know. All right. 
could is that possible i did some some interweb research so let's let's look at food so you're matt damon wait 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 so you googled is it possible to grow food on mars yeah and there's lots of stuff out there. nasa has their own papers on this and i'm really? going to reference those yes how does nasa so, even know they've only sent a little rovers ah so i'm gonna send you another link while i i talk here and Long story short, we need food, right? So how do you grow food on Mars? Well, there's two ways. You can Replicator. grow it. Easy. No, no, no. We're not going <laughs> fantastical here. We're, we're going practical. So I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I can't cut and paste and talk at the same time here. Okay. So link set. So are you familiar with hydroponics? Oh, yeah. So hydroponics for the lay listeners, you can grow plants without soil at all. And all you have to do is basically put nutrient-rich water over the roots, and then voila, you have a plant. So secondly, you can also grow... That's overly simplified, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Are you an expert, Bob? Can you please enlighten us? I've killed plenty of plants with too much water, so trust me, it's possible. All right. Um, So... um, in the movie with uh, Matt Damon, he grows food basically under a tent, if you will. And according to NASA, Mars has all the nutrients needed for growing stuff. And in fact, let's see here. I don't know if that is that link working that I sent you. Okay. Yeah, but what okay. about so these are all the things that they found that were positive in the soil that would support life. But what yes. about the bad things? Like. Well, they didn't list them here, but what about things that would be damaging to plants? Like what if it's overly acidic or all those things? I can barely get my grass to grow, so I'm no expert at this. But according to their little PDF here, white paper, uh, all the essential plant nutrients are available, such as oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, blah, blah, blah. blah. And there's a big list. All right. Nobody wants to hear the list. It's out there. Google it. All right. So assuming (laughs) assuming we can feed ourselves... um, and that we've overcome the distance to get to Mars in the landing and all that fun stuff. Next thing is water. Where do you think we're going to get water from, Bob? From all the ice? Yes. Where is the ice on Mars, though? I, I believe it's underground. Very good. Uh, according to my sources, uh, <laughs> the, the ice is just below the surface and or mostly at the southern pole or cap. Apparently, there's enough ice frozen at the solar or the southern polar cap in order to, if it were all to melt, there would be 36 feet of water over the whole planet. Allegedly. So that's a lot of hey, water. Give it a couple lifetimes, and I'm sure we'll figure out how to flood that place too. Well, <laughs> there there's a problem with water on Mars, Bob. Do you want to guess what that is? Liquid Gravity. Water, it is. Uh, nope, you're close. Uh, if it's not gravity, I have no idea what else it would be. Bob, if you were to take off your space helmet as you're whipping around Earth trying to fix the Hubble telescope for the 10th time, what would happen to you? Um, something bad, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, where I'm going with this is, is water here on Earth, liquid water, only stays liquid because of temperature and one other element, and that is pressure. So if you take a cup of water with you all the way up to outer space, it will evaporate. It'll boil away because the boiling point of water changes depending on how much pressure there is. So in a vacuum, water will boil instantly. Right. 
It so boils if, at a much lower temperature here. Right. So if you take off your space helmet in outer space, your liquids boil away. That doesn't sound very fun. So on Mars, it only has 1% of the pressure, atmospheric pressure that Earth does. So liquid water, if you could have it in liquid water, it would instantly boil away. So it doesn't want to be liquid. You need to have it pressurized. How does it stay in a frozen state then? Frozen water is different than liquid water. That's why I kept trying to qualify it with liquid water because, I don't know, chemistry. Yeah, but don't you think that the low boiling point due to the lack of pressure would prevent the frozen state from even occurring? This I have no idea. I Definitely out of my pay grade. I don't know science well enough either. I just, I feel like there's lots of really smart people that have, you know, investigated this, but I, I some of it's not logicking out for me. <laughs> so, so we can get our food. We can get our water, allegedly, if we do some stuffs. Um, well, we'd have to create artificial pressure environments so it wouldn't boil. Well, you have to do that anyway. It's called your spacesuit. Because so you don't your your liquids inside you don't boil away. Well, sorry, larger scale, right? Artificial pressurized areas. And well, you're gonna need a habitat anyway. You don't want to be like, we're on year three and I've never taken off my spacesuit. I've I've snot all on the inside because I haven't been able to <laughs> clear Dude, anything. Reek. Oh my god. But my my poop chute still working. It's not gummed up too much yet. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so you've got to have some sort of habitat, which takes me kind of my next point. You, in order to go to Mars, you don't just go to Mars with nothing there. You should you should pre-stage a bunch of habitats, rovers, food, emergency rations, right? You're right, sending all that, that way back, ahead of you. That gets back to one of my earlier comments, though. Like, how, how many, I mean, realistically, we start right this second. Like, if we had all the materials to send up there. Just think about how many trips it would take to even stage the area, given optimizing the distance and the speed and the length of time it takes to get there. We're just oh, yeah. so far out. Totally agree. But if I'm if if you're like Kevin, you need to go to Mars. I'd be like Bob. You better fucking send supplies before I even put my spacesuit on. Exactly. Because... And we haven't sent any of those yet. Right. Okay. And so, we don't even know what we would send yet, do we? Well, food, oxygen, water. Well, uh, no, we uh, we understand the categorical. You know, we we understand the boxes we have to check, but we don't have any of the, we don't have existing technology right now to, a get it there, b deploy it, and c have it still be viable by the time people get there. Not in mass, certainly not, because every time we send a, like a rover or something, we all pucker our butts going, well, is that shit going to crash? Is that going to make it? You know, I mean, it's definitely not perfected yet. Right. And it's and that's just one small thing, not nearly enough to sustain a pre-flight of supplies. Yeah. And my son and I were talking about this. He's like, Dad, what happens if you put all your supplies here and then you miss? You land on the other side. <laughs> well, that's bad. So do you have to pre-stage all, you know, at strategic places all over the freaking planet? And that actually, you know, one thing that I do appreciate about some of the more, um, the media, the fantastical, the shows, the movies, they're starting to get a little bit more on board with everything doesn't go perfectly. And yeah, the supplies were here, but we're actually 25 miles from there. How are we going to get from point A to point B? Yeah. So that's kind of cool. I think you're probably referencing Netflix, uh, Mars uh tv show you've seen that right yeah but lost in space deals with some of that shit too uh, on a regular yeah, basis yeah. so did you see season two yet of lost in space uh, we're in the middle of it right now okay yeah actually yeah 
I enjoyed it. Not yeah, bad. I mean, definitely some, well, I don't know, but yeah. I really like the Mars thing because they, they flip. It's one of those weird docudramas where they flip right. back and forth between reality and drama. But. Is that actually a National Geographic? I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a Netflix, but. Well, you know, no, I, I think it is on Netflix, but I think it's a National Geographic like docudrama. Gotcha. Don't know. I might I might want to go watch that after this. <laughs> All right. So we, we've talked about food. We've talked about uh, water. Oxygen. How do you take enough oxygen to a planet that just doesn't have enough, Bob? Well, I don't think they're going to be able to take it. I think they get, once again, I think they're going to have to devise some technology probably tied to the water and the pressurization to extract oxygen out of that process and kind of like fabricate uh, an environment. Very good. Um, everything... <laughs> I think in the Martian, they do this. Basically, you can split the water atom, which is hydrogen, oxygen. Um, and if you use a process called electrolysis, you can use electricity to simply have to free the bond uh, between hydrogen and the oxygen. And you can have pure hydrogen and oxygen. Of course, it's very dangerous because pure hydrogen is very flammable. <laughs> and then pure oxygen is, well, that's one of the ingredients of freaking fire, right? Is an oxidizer. Right. So it's a dangerous proposition. The real trouble with electrolysis is it takes a lot of power. Yeah, so you'd have to take that ability up there with you too. Exactly. We haven't even talked about, shit, how do we generate, how do we keep the lights on? Right, because solar power ain't going to cut it on Mars. You're too far away. It's It's funny though, like if you bring this back to conversations we've had about like artificial intelligence, where it's in its infancy and then if you layer on top of this, you know, we've mentioned Elon a couple times already. Some of the stuff that he's working on, like, you know, with his solar batteries, his battery banks, um, the research that they're doing for Starlink, you know, to be able to synchronize and, you know, the stuff he's doing with SpaceX to be able to send rockets out, bring them back, all the precision that goes into that. Like a lot of these pieces actually stack up pretty well as Legos toward us getting someplace else. Yeah, my fear is is we we've put all of our attention in the getting there, and not enough in the now what, <laughs> you know. So I I'm a little worried that we don't hear. I mean, I'm sure some smart think tanks thinking about this, but is it NASA? Is it SpaceX worried about this? Is it I, another billionaire needs to come along and go? Okay, we're not SpaceX. We're not the we're not the Uber ride to get you to Mars. What we are is we're the sustainability company that'll keep you alive. While well, you're I think Elon might be working toward that with a lot of these smaller projects, and I'm doing smaller in air quotes. I mean, maybe they are pieces to a bigger puzzle. So, Bob, we've talked about oxygen, but. Here on Earth, we don't breathe all oxygen in the air, do we? Oh, it sure feels good when you do, though. <laughs> it does. But um, are you familiar with the infamous ending of Apollo 1? Uh, there was a fire, right? There was a pure oxygen environment that killed Gus Grissom, yeah. Ed White, and Roger Chaffee because they didn't think about putting nitrogen in the oxygen environment to prevent an explosion and or a fire from instantly just woof, you know, right. consuming the entire out. capsule. Yeah. So nitrogen fortunately is available on Mars in the soil, but that's again, something else you've got to extract. It's not free. It's going to take energy. Uh, now I imagine because your spacesuit's starting to reek, as we talked about, you're going to want to take that off and you're going to need a shelter. 
You're going to need some way to bathe yourself, somewhere to... Mm, That bathing thing's not happening for a while. Uh, Did you know that in the military that uh, women are not allowed to be out in the field for more than three days? For hygiene reasons. Well, that's not space travel. Sorry. It's not space travel, but I I gotta think it's gotta be the same thing. So in basic training, we have to find. Are there are there rules for space force written out anywhere? Well, uh, if I guess if, it's a military branch. So I mean, when you're in basic training, army base training, you are nothing. They don't give two shits about you. But the important thing here is to go. I know we don't care about you. You're training. We don't care if you're dirty, nasty, or whatever. But w- the women need to go back to the barracks every three days and bathe and come back. And as a male, I was like, what? What the hell? I'm, I'm, I'm covered in bug bites. I smell. <laughs> Why can't I go back and take a shower? Suck it up, private. Yeah, so, that shit's going to end up going away. That's not going to be a forever rule. I, I honestly, I'm not a woman. I have no idea why that's not a, a woman, rule never been a woman uh, <laughs> not looking not planning to being on one. being no. one so i don't know why i didn't i didn't want to ask hey what why do you have to go back every three days is there something i'm unaware of that happens to you in these i'm pretty sure when they send men and women on this trip to mars there's not going to be any weird rules about women having to bathe every three days well what there might be is rules about fraternization and procreation like, I mean, it's required. Like, if you get, if you have if a baby or get somebody pregnant, that's that's like, OMG, what are we going to do? Because you think they're sending the gear to handle that? Well, first of all, it will be strictly forbidden. Second of all, there's not a damn thing in the world they can do to stop it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, there's it, that. Will be, it will be strictly forbidden the first several trips several several maybe most of them to i mean we'll we'll get to this later but they'll all be one-way trips so no one's gonna even though there will be a strict rule not to procreate while they're there it's gonna happen oh yeah for sure because somehow some way even in army basic training people hook up and i have no idea why you don't want to do that it's so disgusting but it's that's just human nature for sure okay so we need shelter. We need to be able to take that off. Um, yeah, but wa- I have an important question for you before we... Can- yep. Do All you right. honestly Do believe that we're going to get to this, that, that you and I will see this in our lifetime? That's f- that's amazing question because Jackson asked me that. He's like, Dad... Will it ever happen in our lifetime? I, I said, think he's got a better shot than you and I do, but what do you And that's think? what I said. That's exactly what I said. I said, my lifetime, no. Your lifetime, maybe. But honestly, if you... I'm kind of doubting that too because, and he wants to be the first one on Mars. You know, it's very noble, very, very 11 year old kid, right? But I look at everything and go, wait a second. We haven't been in the moon 50 years. Do we give a shit enough to make this happen? Because the will of just Elon Musk ain't going to cut it at this no, point. No, but you and I have talked about this before, though. There is a, there's a very, you know, it's almost like flat Earth versus round Earth. There's camps that believe we have to go to Mars because this planet is almost done. And then there's actually another camp that thinks even though this planet might not almost be done, we need to go there because we need to be first. And then there's the camp of people who said we don't need to do that. We need to fix it here first. Let me see if I can address all three camps. This planet's fucked. We should go to another planet. Honestly, you're 
you're older than me and I'm not that far behind. We're to the point where Earth's going to be around long enough, at least for me and you and probably our kids. No problem. Honestly, just honestly. I don't again. know yeah. if that's a no problem, but okay. I, I see. I see a greater chance of us losing coastal lands in our lifetime than getting to Mars. Well, We're I am losing coastal lands in the world. So yeah, and I'm no climate denier. But here's what I think: Earth doesn't give a shit if humans are here or not. Earth will be here whether or not there's lots of water, lots of land, oh, uninhabitable. Yeah. Doesn't care. Humans aren't Earth's problem. There's nothing that humans can do to really piss off Earth. Whatever. So it's really a matter of our own existence. Do you, do this human humanity want to keep Earth habitable or not? And if we don't want to or can't or it's too late or whatever, we have to go to Mars. But let's take a step back. You're telling me we have a better chance on Mars after all the things we just talked about. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying <laughs> okay. that. I'm just okay. saying we have a better chance of seeing more major cities re- relocated from the coast because they're they're underwater. Yes. In our lifetime than us getting to Mars in our lifetime. But given that, given the horrible tragedy of that, that's still like, I'd rather take that over all the things we just talked about going to Mars that we'd have to overcome. Oh, yeah. But there's still camps that say we have to go to Mars because of those things. That's fine. A rather sizable camp. I think it would be neat. But if you... If I look at everything like from a, a business, like what's the business need here? What what's the business case of going to Mars? There isn't really a good one, is there? Well, there's probably going to be a time in the very near future that that type of business venture could employ people that who otherwise would not be employed because of the way we're going technologically as well. So, well, we have we have unlimited examples of companies that don't make money in the name of, well, it would be cool if, and why don't we try this? So I just don't see the profit of going to Mars because of the, the enormous expense of just putting a single human being on that freaking planet is amazingly high. I will say that it won't become any kind of reality unless someone finds a way to make money from it. Exactly. Oh, or or, uh, or we're in a race with the Russians or Chinese, which is more right. likely. And that's, when I, that, that's what I said. The second camp was the people who said that we need to do it yes. because we need to be first. Right. Have you and watched that Apple, the, the Apple series for all mankind? I don't think so, but. Do you have Apple Plus? Me. No, I don't. So I guess I haven't. Okay. Basically, it's the premise is that we were second to the moon. And is it it's fictional? All, oh, well, yeah, because we were first. Oh, I, I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory, like flat no, earth no, no, documentary. No, no. Oh, okay. It's like, um, it's very similar to Man in the High Castle. It's a okay, look at gotcha. what life what life would be like if we lost the race to the moon. And gotcha. then how, how everything cascades down from that. It's about the space program in the States, how that was impacted by not being first. Okay, I got you. It's kind of interesting. So, I like those premises. So a large part of me believes the only reason we went to the moon wasn't because it was there and it was hot. It's because the Russians were beating us in the space race. Pure and simple, right? <laughs> Can you just do the rest of the episode with your um, JFK? <laughs> <laughs> we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. <laughs> okay. All right. 
Wow. That's right. That's on the podcast forever now. Okay. So one of the last things that we talked about, we already touched on is power. So I can only think because solar power is kind of out. Um, you're not going to burn coal. You're not going to have, you might have methane there, but I think nuclear power would be the ideal choice, wouldn't it? I think for portability and relative ease of setup and something we're familiar with, yes. Because everything else it's is very be large in scale. Yeah, everything's large in scale. The electrolysis, if I mean, you're going to need oxygen. And that takes me to like, okay, now you've, let's assume we've overcome the impossible and we have some infrastructure there. What sort of skill sets are we putting there? I, I'm thinking doctors, engineers, mechanics, security. What other kind of people? Scientists, well, I guess. it's almost going to have to be like a microcosm of every discipline we have in any thriving community because you're going to need all those support staff. And then anytime where you can find multiple hat wearers in those very specialized areas, they'll be worth their weight in some rare metal that we discover from Mars that somebody gets rich from. So not that I'm volunteering to go to Mars, but when you're in the military and they send you to, I don't know, the Middle East where there's nothing and you have to <laughs> stand up a whole tent city and have internet and everything, you start start figuring out who's valuable and who's not. And I was in a communications unit and we had to wear those multiple hats. One thing that we weren't good at as communicators was getting the generator running, keeping it running, you know, the heavy equipment. So we had mechanics embedded with us. So I imagine you need some very specialized people. You're not sending philosophers to Mars, probably. You're, you're not sending poets. You're sending blue collar no, types. They'd be, and they'd be the proverbial tits on a chicken. In that environment. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so um, I, I think of a lot of our I'm probably influenced a lot by our sci fi stuff where you have like, you know, security people. But the, but. What I'm more thinking of it, you probably have martial law there, right? Hey, you quit fucking so and so. Quit trying to make a baby. You're gonna ruin the mission or whatever, right? Yeah, I would think the military would be like the project managers and just like the general like structure to it all. So yeah, military would be there. They'd be your security slash police slash project managers. So in season two of Mars, um, they had two groups on that land on Mars. One was like the UN version of colony, and the other one was private private enterprise. And so whenever the private enterprise would do something, the UN people would be like, hey, you're not allowed to do that, blah, blah, blah. And they would always reply like, the fuck we can't. We're private. Go fuck yourself. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Go ahead and stop us. Well, that brings up a really good question, though, and something we really haven't talked about, which is kind of why we started this topic, though. We won't have any UN presence, would we? Because it's going to be 100% commercial at this point. We would. Well, <laughs> see, that's where it gets slippery because NASA, government agency, funds SpaceX. So there's, you know, the old, well, the money really kind of controls Everything, do right? they fund SpaceX or do they contract to SpaceX? All right. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know, but somebody wrote a check. That's all I know. Right. But Elon could most certainly, or more likely, you know, a Bezos or a Branson could go there with their own funding and NASA would be cut out of it. Like almost like NASA scientists would be hired as consultants from 
the commercial enterprises. That's how kind of I see it. So when we talked about uh, Starlink, we kind of talked about what happens if, if SpaceX goes out of business and there's 40,000 satellites zipping around up there and nobody's in control of them anywhere. The government's going to take that over, right? Or he sells them for pennies on the dollar to Jeff Bezos, who's trying to do the same thing. Okay. That would likely now, happen first. My latest episode of Black Mirror sounds like this. Elon Musk dies. SpaceX goes out of business. The 200 colonists stuck on Mars haven't heard from Earth. They're not sure what's happening anymore. Yada, 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 yada. So who rescues these people? I don't think anyone does. Damn, <laughs> that better be in my contract. I better be getting some life insurance or something. Well, no, I think anybody who's making that trip for the foreseeable future, and I'm talking like, you know, the better part of a quarter of a century, they're not, they're going to, it's a one-way mission. Nobody's coming back from there for a long time. Do, do, you, do you think it should be a one-way mission, period? There is no come home. Figure it out. I mean, I'd be motivated if I'm there. Okay, there is no go home, guys. Well, since we barely have a plan, well, we don't. We, we don't have any methodology or plan to get there at this point. I don't see the get home part coming for far, far past the get there. So let's take the temperature again. You uh, you asked the question, will this happen in our lifetime? I think we agree. Not Not yours or mine. Right? Yeah. Totally agree with there. Pick pick a number on the timeline. What year do you think we'll be there, if at all? So we're at 2020 right now. Yep. I would guess other... So we're talking about first landing, like six people in the smallest spaceship possible? Man has taken his first leak on Mars. When does that happen, Bob? <laughs> 2080. Okay. What technologies need to, uh, of all the things we talked about, getting there, uh, generating food, water, shelter, oxygen, of all those things, what technology do you feel is holding us back the most? I think the, the, the portability of reliable structures. I think that's like one, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an, a pure infrastructure thing. It's the ability to take something that needs to be at scale quickly after landing, but have it be portable enough to get there in one shipment. I think that's the, our biggest challenge. Basically blast off an entire moon or a Mars base with crew and everything. And it'll be able to land everything in yeah. place. Um, I think you get a shortcut for the first trip because you could make the ship somewhat sustainable for long enough maybe for the next people to get there but you have to have some kind of uh architectural you know modularity that is simple to deploy and highly functional an environment that we don't know that much about i i think it's the propulsion to get there that's the biggest thing getting us back six months is just seven months or longer getting there with certain launch windows. I think that's just crippling at this point. Yeah. But I did. I, do you think, I just don't know if that technology, I mean, that technology might be hundreds of years off to close that gap. Well, the Mars show we've been talking about had a really cool concept. That I just reminded myself of, they have an orbital space station at Mars. That's the supply drop ship. So you right, could, so only one ship has to land, basically. 
Right. So you could send a barge, if you will, from Earth. Okay. So imagine the space station that we have right now. Hey, guys, it's it's decommissioned, but you know what? It can hold a lot of shit. It can hold supplies. So what we're going to do is we're going to pack it full of stuff, and then we're going to attach rockets to it, and then we're going to send it to Mars, and it's going to now orbit Mars. Now we're going to send humans to Mars to the space station and we're just going to start by inhabiting this space station. Nobody goes down to earth yet or Mars yet. Just yeah, like but we, that thing, but our space station, what's its max capacity? Six, four. Um, to, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> it, it, it needs to grow a little bit, but let's, let's say we upscale that a little bit. We have a space station that's going around Mars and then that's the supply closet, if you will. And then we can send, you know, once once we establish a human presence around Mars, we can then start with accuracy, start going, okay, we need to land supplies here. Now we can land humans there. We kind of take away a lot of the risk, I think, if right. we start and with it also takes station. away Yeah, it takes away a lot of the targeting oopsies, too. Because you right. get into orbit, you eventually dock with a space station. In theory, there's a shuttle that's much more easy to target and control getting back in, well, even one ways. So the the trip that goes out there, there could be like a capsule that becomes the new thing that they just shoot down at the surface. Yeah. And they have that. So emergencies came up in the episode in, in the season. And what they would do is they would radio to the Chinese, I think who were running the space station. Like, Hey, we need a whatever, whatever. So when you fly over that particular area, do a drop. And then, you know, those people get it. So I think that's actually one of the nicer things because if you send a rocket from earth and you want it to land on mars i think you enter orbit first that's normal but why not have a more permanent presence in mars orbit that you could you know use as a a lifeboat if you will for anyone who goes to the ground very much what the apollo program did yeah that's still i I still think we're a good hundred years off i would agree it's not going to happen in my lifetime i don't know if i can tell jackson my honest to God opinion, because I don't think it'll happen in his lifetime either. I think we spend too much time on the the possibility of the rocket. I think we haven't spent enough time on the, okay, we're here now, what? Because, you know, I just don't think we've thought about it. At least, at least that doesn't happen in the public very often. And we've talked through a lot of the, the things here um, that could go wrong. And that's a lot of weight, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of gear. Uh, and then we got humans. You know, what if a human goes crazy while they're there? They're going to... They're going to incarcerate a human, have a prison on Mars. No way. They'll just zap them. Right. I mean, that's probably what will happen. But, you know, are you going to go ahead and say that's your policy? Probably not. Yeah. You <laughs> fuck up, you're dead. <laughs> By whose? I, I think that's an understood risk of the entirety of the trip. Um, well, I, that's why I think it's going to be very militaristic. I mean, the military has come up or has had these situations come up. So this isn't like new way of life for the military. That's why I think there comes a point where civilians can only do so much. Maybe the civilians can create the rockets, but you're going to have to send the space force or whoever to actually man it. Yep. Well, tell Jackson to figure out what he thinks the biggest problem is and have that dude study up. And maybe it happens in his lifetime if he studies up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so optimistic, but I'll, I'll tell them for you, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what did we forget? I'm sure we forgot tons, but since we were kind of like, disclaimer, we're not scientists or mathematicians nope, or billionaires. We're just, we're just two dudes bullshitting about tech. <laughs> <laughs>
and today it was about space travel. All right, good stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, remember, if you're still listening, uh, do that like thing. Uh, if you're a Spotify listener, follow. I don't know what it is. Uh, that just helps us know who we're reaching. And you know what? You can always hit us up on Twitter. Yes. And if you want a Bob and Kevin Show sticker, I've actually sent a few internationally now and some domestically. And if you'd like one, uh, all you got to do is uh, reach us on social media. I'm going to do all the cyber stalking. Like, hey, do they follow us? Are they just like trying to get a free sticker? Do they actually listen? You know, I'm going to do all that. Of course, yeah. I'll just I'll just send it to you anyway. But, but I'll, tell I'll do all that to. stuff. If you're yeah, not following exactly. us, I'll tell them not to. So, like, all right. Have a great save time. Save that stamp. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, until next time, this has been the Bob and Kevin Show. Hey. Have you ever wondered how you can get in touch with us at The Bob and Kevin Show? Well, first, you can try us via email at comments at bobandkevinshow.com. Or are you more into social? If so, you can find us on Twitter at Bob and Kevin Show. Or on Instagram as Bob N. Kevin Show. That's Bob, the letter N, Kevin Show. And if you're still on Facebook, you can even find us at facebook.com slash Bob and Kevin Show. And for the serious business fans... You can even find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash the dash Bob dash Kevin dash show. How's that for a handle? Let's connect.